0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Beat podcast. The mission of our podcast is to show the real-life challenges of implementing technology in healthcare. And the podcast is sponsored by Domingos, a company that develops IT solutions for healthcare startups and companies. My name is Ivan Dunsky, your host as always, and I am jo- joined today by an honored guest, Yu Shimizo. Yu is from Japan and her background is in Applied Mathematics, in Biomedical Signal and Image Processing. You spent most of her career in research and currently you are the CTO at ICOMI, a company that develops digital tools to improve the quality of life for people with dementia and their families. Yu, thank you for joining today, how are you? Thank you for inviting me, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Cool. So, could you please tell us about uh, iComi and how it helps people? With
1: yeah. So iComi is Japan-based startup, and we develop a web-based software, and it's delivered by a tablet, and it streams personalized content. Content, and that content is specialized. It should trigger the communication between the person with dementia and the family, or the carer. And it, in that way, improves the quality of life for the families and also the carers, which is for us an important point so far, all the software, not all the software, but most of the software for dementia is focused on the person with dementia, we want to focus also on the families and the carers because many problems arise from this, what we call dementia triad, where families and person with dementia and care team, care workers have to work together to improve the situation. And so essentially, we want to, with our software, we want to pinpoint the memories that are still alive in that person with dementia and the cognitive functions and show the family that they can still communicate with this person. And through that, find a connection back to the family members.
0: Based on memories?
1: Memories, but also cognitive functions. So the cognitive functions also decline, but... From outside, of course, you cannot see which ones are still alive or which not, but you can trigger them delivering person-centered content. So we also have quizzes, for example, but with subjects that we know the, the person likes. We have an interview before starting the whole process with the family about the whole life story. And then through integration of an AI, we try to eventually pinpoint what, what keeps that person motivated.
0: Uh-huh so do you do that kind of in an empirical way where you show images or things like that and and see, observe the reaction of a patient
1: yeah Um, exactly, sorry I didn't explain that properly but the person who is watching the tablet is recorded through the video camera on the tablet and that video is processed by an AI to show what kind of reaction so far not which kind of Emotion they they show, because that's very difficult through an AI at the moment. It's very, we try to keep it objective, but in the future, it will be connected to subjective comments, either from the family or from the carers who are with the person during the session. Mm -hmm. And in the next session, the AI should automatically select from a pool of contents that we already have. Something that's suitable for that person to continue the line of stimulus. Mm-hmm. So we actually call the videos stims, like stimuli. We don't call them content or video or picture. And like, do you have evidence that this stimuli improve cognitive functions? of mm, It doesn't improve cognitive functions, but we can pinpoint what is still working. We don't have evidence in the sense of evaluated data yet. We That's a work in progress. We have, we have of course, empirical data and experience on that. That's what the whole, started the whole process of making a company. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So we do talk a lot with the families also, but we also have a proper research study in preparation that we do in, in collaboration with, a care facility, where we, where we'll go through the whole process of recruiting 30 to 50 people and then evaluate before and after the sessions after using them three months. So usually people don't use the software every day or something, they use it every week. So it's a bit of a longer process.
0: Mm -hmm. So they have kind of sessions where they use tablet or phone and uh, see different images, maybe sounds, videos, right? That is
1: how it works. So what we want to, aim at is that the family member is also interested and says, oh, that's interesting, I didn't know that about your life, or I didn't know that you are interested in that, and that's where the communication comes alive. Mm -hmm. And the second point is they can upload their own images. So if they send us their personal data, we upload it and we make a story for them. So they can look at events like 20, 30 years ago and share that memory and kind of feel connected to that person anymore. Again, for the family, it's very difficult once the person starts having dementia to identify that person they knew. They mostly feel like, okay, they're losing that person, but it's actually not true. So characteristics are maintained. What what do you mean by
0: characteristics are maintained?
1: If that person is inherently a positive person because they have dementia, they don't become suddenly negative. <laughs> but to you, it might seem like that because they lose their way to communicate. So we, ICOMI should provide that bridge to show the family that they still can maintain their personalities. Like people who make a lot of jokes, they still make jokes, even if they have dementia, <laughs> that type mm-hmm. of characteristics. Yeah, People who are naturally quiet, they usually stay quiet. People who are naturally active, they become active. But some of the symptoms of dementia, they kind of overlay that character, like quiet people can be very aggressive, but be out of frustration. So if you can kind of alleviate a little bit of anxiety and the frustration, they, you can see their character come back. So that helps the family to kind of keep the quality of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And don't you think that if these sessions would be more often, the result would be better? I mean, if that
1: would be not once a week, but... For example, every day. So that is something we are not sure about and we don't want to push the families to do that. I mean, not families, but, but patients. Yeah. So that there, we are not sure we have to kind of do a proper research project. Mm-hmm. On that. that will be one of the parameters that we, we can adjust. But from our experience every day is usually too much burden on the caretaker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, that's a point that we find a little bit difficult but which is a very important part of the whole business strategy also to find the sweet point for the caretaker and the mm-hmm. family and the person with dementia. We don't use the word patient. It's always person with dementia because we believe that their symptoms come out of anxiety and frustration and that's what we're trying to alleviate. We, we cannot fix the, the dementia itself. So we cannot revive functions that are already lost with the, this kind of uh, software.
0: So a person with dementia can, cannot use the solution without a okay, caretaker, right?
1: Mm, if, uh, if it's a very mild case still, they mm-hmm. will be able. So we have a remote version also because of Corona, of course, <laughs> that we developed just for Corona, but where, where the family can actually be at home and the person with dementia, if they live alone, they just have to switch on the tablet. The main aim is to make the family communicate. So we prefer if they are together. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay. And what differentiates icomi from other applications which help people with dementia?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. <laughs> that's the, the main point of the business also. So business uh, of the product, I would say, so we don't concentrate so much on the business, but it one big difference is that it's person-centered. So most of the application show general contents, general games, they're often group orientated for the care homes, but we try to actually customize it to each person and the customization works through AI. So many people ask us okay what's the difference to YouTube but the difference is that we have our own content of course that's tailored for people with dementia and also that's tailored to the to the personal content that the family gives us so they can give us their own content and upload and if they want also create their own their own stories so we have more flexibility on the create creation creational side for the family also and the the second point is that we also want to concentrate on the quality of life for the families, because many, many problems come out of the family, not from the person themselves. So the family would like to look after the person with dementia, but they don't know how. And as you know, there is a shortage of therapists and also caretakers. So we want to provide the families with something they can use without having to do like a one year training or something Mm -hmm. to kind of have a good time with the, the family members so do you provide any kind of educational knowledge base to
0: family members
1: no so we on purpose want the software to be self-educational mm-hmm. mm. so maybe there, there can be some kind of training on how to communicate more efficient but i think that's very different from family to family so we have family for example who commun- communicate just by sitting closer or sitting further apart that's their way to communicate it, we don't feel like there should be any training, we are planning to have training for people who are working care homes because their, relation to the person with dementia is a bit different than for family members, but it's, it's still work in progress also. So if, if they need some prompts, we, we are planning to put them into the program, not, not into a training session. So they will have maybe a sentence that the family can use to start the conversation
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of having. To attend something before mm-hmm. so that we found that that's actually a, a burden for anybody who is who wants to try the software if there is a training or if there's something complicated then they tend not to use it
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah got it yeah i think that there is really a smart way to do it because yeah people as you said the family members already have burden and have some kind of difficulty right and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're frustrated and uh, that's, that's cool that you give a kind of, you know, plug and play way approach where they can use the product right away.
1: Yeah. It is uh, actually also quite a challenge because our users are between 40 and 60, sometimes 70. So any kind of technology is like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like even hmm. switching the tablet on and things. So we try tailoring the software so that it's very intuitive is is one of our challenges and is the the product
0: already live so do you already have users
1: yes but it's in in pre, in pre pre-business trial so it's it's already live but we only have like 30 users at the moment so based on that we will change the business model 30
0: persons with dementia
1: yeah so 30 paying customers we have more people on the research side yeah
0: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. And what results do you receive so far? Like how, how, do you measure outcomes?
1: So we look at how long do people continue using it, of course. And then what kind of feedback we receive on the videos. We found something interesting that people tend not to continue using it. If you don't check in with them. Mm. And which, which is one of our, actually one of our purposes. So the family feels more comfortable using the device if they can call you once a week and say, oh, this session went well, this session didn't go well. Even though we don't advise them, but that's the type of service actually that we also would like to provide. A person who is familiar with problems in the family, if they have a person with dementia, who can listen to them and not advise them, but be a communication partner for them. Mm -hmm. So it will be integrated as part of our service. It's not a therapist, but it's somebody who is well versed in that area. For example, our care director, she is a social worker who has a lot of experience with families like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Could you please tell us about the product development side of things? What do you do at the company right now on the product development side? And what yeah. is your current focus?
1: So I'm I'm in charge of connecting everything together and make it a functional, functional thing on the web, on the web platform. So, so I try to pinpoint what's needed on the business side, what's needed on the user side, what's needed on the care side and translate it into functions on the platform, but also into other applications if that's possible. So I'm also responsible for web webpage. For example, we have a line, a line for customers. Anything that can be kind of solved by technology. I'm in charge of kind of coming up with that idea. Of course, I I talked to my team with that. I'm responsible to communicate the needs of the projects to the tech team and figure out their workload, manage the roadmap and yeah, manage the priorities. One of the tasks that I nearly finished is to support the team to become a real team because we had an outsourced team before and we had to change to in-house team, but we, because we, we started with being only four people two years ago. We had to start from the first person in the tech team to, and now we have six. So it took quite a while to kind of get everybody into the, into the place they feel comfortable with and feel also the, the whole process of developing.
0: Could you tell please about the experience of working with the outsource team? So I assume that your technology is quite complex, I mean. There is, of course, like some standard parts of it, but that is also that AI piece. So could you tell us about like the whole life cycle? How did you, what was the approach to develop the product from scratch and like how it evolves to the current state?
1: Yeah. So we were, we were quite lucky that the AllSource team is actually a team that works for our collaborating uh, company. So we have a collaboration company that's called SBX. And they have the, their own team and they we outsourced to them. So that the process was not like a usual outsourcing where you have the whole spec and then you just give it to the outs- outsourcing team. But we could, it was a, like a, a joint management. So uh-huh. on my side, there was me, but they had their own manager, of course. So lucky me, I didn't have to kind of know everything about what they're doing, but just tell them the needs. And then as the business changes also, of course, in the beginning, try to figure out how to do that. So they were, had, uh, the proof of concept, the base was outsourced and then it was taken over by, by our in-house slowly in, in, by our in-house developers. The AI is still outsourced to the same company and, mm. is and is connected through an API. And we continue the same process. So we continue collaborating in the sense of that we have weekly or bi-weekly meetings. Where we talk about how their processes and how it could be should be integrated in our, our site. So now it's completely separated into the iCommunit team is in charge of the technology, technology in the sense of, of the software, and the AI team is in charge of developing the AI and connecting it through the API. So now it's like two, two separate. There's like software development and one is technology in the sense of developing the algorithm.
0: Mm-hmm. So they do all the models, they do
1: all the, they do the models and the data analysis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's um, where my expertise mainly comes in. So that the data analysis and the machine learning, right? Because my and, background is not in software development. Could you tell
0: us how you manage the team? Like when you manage the AI team, like what kind of your approach to manage them? How do you overview if. Everything is going into right direction, like maybe some KPIs
1: or like, how do you do that? So for the AI team, they have their own manager, of course, also, because Mm -hmm. they they are from from our collaborating company. So they have their management also. But from our side, we are connected by Slack and we communicate about everything they need to, they need access to. If they need some API, then our team will take care of that. If we need them to configure something so that it actually can be integrated in our platform, then we communicate that mostly about uh, in Slack. My role is more to keep the overview on what's missing, what's not missing, because the developers are very focused on their own own thing. So it's not possible, I think, to, for them to, at the same time, look at the roadmap Mm. and the AI has in the sense, no hard deadline, but the technology side does. So I'm also in charge of balancing these two things. Mm-hmm. So my, my role is more on the iCommeTech team, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Got even, it.
1: even though I'm not a software developer. Uh, I, yeah, uh,
0: but again, ha, but how you overview the results of the AI team, how you check
1: that everything oh, is. They give us a bi-weekly report.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they gave us also a knowledge transfer seminar. Seminar? We have knowledge transfer meetings. Mm-hmm. They explain in detail what, what the, okay. how the system is built okay. so that all the technicians can take it over.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So the
1: delivery is, is maybe that bi-weekly. So we don't have, we don't have like, we, we have milestones of course. So we check on, on that of course, but it depends also on what, what the data brings. So sometimes we don't get the results that we want, and then we have to change things. Mm-hmm. But mainly for, so for the outsourced we have bi-weekly meetings, if, if that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. And, and I'm who- also directly in touch with the manager on their side. So if anything is about changing in their, in their team, then we communicate directly. Yeah. And there is
0: a thought that AI is a kind of a black box and it can generate kind of unpredicted results. So could you share with us, like, if you if you have already observed some unpredicted results from your AI?
1: Unpredicted results. Yes. So it's very heavily dependent, (laughs) dependent. On, on the training data, of course, and because we don't have enough data on our side yet, we use training data that's freely available also. So there, there is definitely a bias. I mean, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say that, but we trained also previously an AI that is supposed to tag what's in the picture is a very common problem, but we use it for Asian people. Right. And the first time I uploaded an Asian person, it would say bear. So that's completely, and you can tell. Okay, this must have been trained on white people, probably, right? So these are kind of <laughs> things we have to be careful about, I think. And also the training on the emotional part. So we we try to streamline the the training data a bit so that there <laughs> can't there won't be any mistakes like that.
0: Yeah, like j- just a similar example, we we did a project we, where we analyzed the queue of people in front of post offices, and right. we also built a face recognition algorithm to do that. And when we tried an Asia, Asian people, uh, that was like things like that, like you explained. So right. we didn't recognize Asian people. <laughs> but yeah, right. It, it did good job with, with the European and people, but yeah, it was completely a disaster <laughs> with Asia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think one big part of our project is also to customize the AIs to, to specific data because people with dementia, for example, they don't show their emotion that clearly in the face. So even if we have a good emotion detector for face, but we have to retrain it on people with dementia Cause even if they say, okay, I'm very happy, you would maybe not be able to tell it. So that's where we, we, the main part of the AI goes into, I think. But
0: in general, what is your strategy of like solving this problem of getting more data because I think like more data you have more accurate the algorithm is right. So w- what is your strategy in that? Open data is not enough, right?
1: It's not like, enough. So we use a lot of transfer learning. We try to find as much as open data and then adjust it to what we have, but we use of course, also other data we already get from the clients. And then we have friends. We ask (laughs) friends to, to record videos. So it's still not enough, but it's we are not planning to have big, big data in that sense, because it's person it's per person. So there should be a constant update. For each person we won't have that much data anyway. So we will, we will have to find a different solution than mm-hmm. a huge amount of data. So you are saying that
0: algorithm works only with the data of a specific person.
1: Yes. So it doesn't build correlations with other people in the future. Yes. So we try to make it in part. So uh-huh. it will build correlations once we have more customers.
0: Do you think that is the right thing to build correlations? It is like two sides of the coin, right? This is the flip side that the, it can be a biased. So you can think that there is a correlation, but in reality, there is no correlation. So, yeah,
1: that's very true. So I think it would be a good starter for retraining the model. So essentially, if there is a person we need to adjust in the future, now we're not doing it, but in the future, ideally there should be a feedback loop. And if we can bring that. First, model as close to as possible to the starting to the end point, so to say. So, if we can bring the start point as close as possible to the end point, that's of course better for the model. So, if there is a correlation, you could can try to use that as a seed. But then, there are many possibilities at the moment. We're not sure what's the best, mm-hmm. like always. <laughs> but I think it's good to use as a startup. Great. Yeah.
0: And uh, could you tell them? please about the kind of your um, distribution strategy. So, as I understood, you're focusing on the Japanese market
1: right now, right? So what
0: are your plans on going on other markets?
1: So we need to establish the Japanese market first because that, because also because we don't have enough people at the moment, (laughs) but also because it's very culture dependent. So any contents we stream is because it's person centered is also very culture centered. So all the festivals are now Japanese related, even within Japan, because it's so long, we have different seasons, different veg- vegetation, different festivals. So once we have that established, we want to, of course, go abroad. We already have a collaboration with Kea homeowner in the United States and the feasibility project running so they will they will provide contents and we will see what the first trial will show how much different the content has to be and also the stimuli they have to be presented in a different way probably i mean especially if you compare japan and america the way we present things is completely different
0: yeah could you elaborate right on that like how different in what way
1: i think uh, japanese content is more subtle one thing that came up is for example the American care home, they have a similar application to ICOMI, but it's not person centered, but they have a lot of discussion topics in Japan. We don't discuss so many things. (laughs) So if you, if you would ask, what do you think about this? You will get less feedback than if you give them a choice, for example, or emotional reactions are a bit. I think, more more contained. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, that would affect, for example, also the AI, the, the emotional, the face recognition and things. So these parts need to be adjusted, which is more work than I think, than most people think, actually. So mm-hmm. you will have to adjust the, whatever we stream and then you have to adjust uh, yeah, the AI. Yeah, that
0: is what you mentioned, that to put it in different words, that as mm-hmm. like, of uh, course, taken into consideration the kind of, closed culture you don't really know if a person really means what they show
1: yeah exactly yeah so we have we're trying to also uh keep a connection to singapore because we have some connection there that would be maybe easier because there are also many asian people and another thing is we try to find asian people who live abroad as users to start with
0: by Asian, you mean Chinese as well? Yeah. And do, do you see do you see similarities between how the product could be applied in Japan and in China?
1: Not in in terms of content, but in terms of AI. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. What so do that... you mean? Not in terms of content. What do you mean? So
1: in content, we will have to change everything to Chinese events, Chinese festivals, Chinese icons. Ah. Iconic, uh, okay, got it. Music, everything. So content is, I think the biggest part actually also because of the copyright, it was not so easy to kind of gather all this content. You have to search for it. And then if it's perfect, it's sometimes it's copyright and you can't actually get it. But
0: as I understood, the majority of content is provided by persons with dementia and their families.
1: Depends on, yeah depends on how many images they have themselves. So a lot of content is also provided by us. So the base uh, content should be provided by us because if there is a person who doesn't have any images or does not use smartphones or where you can easily get, uh, on get Instagram. Video, yeah. Okay. So the, the, yeah. the target population is like 40 to 60, right? So, and at least in Japan, many of the customers we have are in the 80s and 90s. So they don't really have pictures of themselves. So we need to kind of find them. It, it's kind of a quest, icon request also to find pictures for these people from somewhere, <laughs> from the uh-huh. past. So
0: basically they tell you a story that, for example, I was there, I was there, and then you put together exactly. the content. Images.
1: Exactly. So the first time before they use is we have an interview with the family, and they tell us the life story more or less of that person. Mm-hmm. And we try to find contents about that person. So ideally that should be automatic. It's semi-automatic at the moment. So we use tags to do that. But in the future, it should be completely automatic.
0: How it could be completely automatic? Will you parse? Will you search for images mm-hmm. yeah.
1: online? Yeah. Online, so ideally it should all be in our, in our package. It should not be online. It should be on, on part of the iComi service. You don't have all these contents ready at the time we deliver.
0: <laughs> so you mean that the person need to provide the content to you or, or what? Like how, how you can gather all the content
1: automatically? So we have a pool of contents already. So we, we're uh, still in the process. Ah, okay.
0: to... So you just repurpose the content. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Content. So, so that's also a little bit to your question, if we can find correlations, but we will yeah. find. Try to find of course age if you see in the in the profile, same age, the same t- hometown, then we already know what kind of contents they will maybe like. So we start from there. And then the rest is feedback.
0: Got it. And and coming back to the kind of in-house versus outsource approach question. Mm-hmm. So what kind of pros and cons do you see do you find in those two ways? And why did you end up with the with the approach of going more in Hours in-house right
1: so outsource of course there's always a hard deadline mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's much more budget related than in-house because in-house is continuous salary and the communication of course works much better in-house even though we are all remote because of corona these days it is much more easy to convey what is needed and for whatever reason, because they are familiar also with our business model, the in-house people, they of course know what the situation is regarding of what we aim to while the outsourced people, they only get, okay, we need this. We don't have as much time to, of course we, we talk about the business also, or the needs that the care people have to make it more transparent to them why we need certain functions, but we don't have that much time. And the in-house people, they inherently they get this introduction to to the whole company f- philosophy, to to our aims and our vision. Yeah, it's more t- transparent for them. Their motivation is different, I think, than others' people. For and outsourced you,
0: people. you plan <clears throat> to continue development more in the in-house approach, as the yes,
1: yes. Except for the AI, I think everything will be in-house. Mm-hmm. Got it.
0: Yeah. Could you share with us the scaling plans um, of ICOMI? Do you have a roadmap, for example, when you go to the U.S. market and like, what do you need to accomplish to get the just a general roadmap?
1: So we are now in series A. That means we have to, until the end of fiscal year 2023, we have to show that we have a business model that works. And then we go into series B, which is scaling, right? So I think we already have prepared the connections to different countries, but realistically we can only start thinking about going abroad in maybe two, three years Mm -hmm. because we have to still grow our team and we have to still grow our marketing team also, including the marketing team. Somebody has to do the communication. We will need, if we go abroad, we will need translators. Maybe not so many, but yeah. It's still a bit further away, I think, going abroad. But we we are counting on that, actually.
0: Yeah, sure. I think there is kind of a global, as we all see the global shortage of nurses and caretakers. And I constantly speak with people from the US, and that is a huge problem there as well. Mm. As society also getting older. Uh, in developed countries so i think that is a huge problem and uh, yeah,
1: yeah it's, i think in in that sense it's uh in japan the need is maybe much higher than in other countries yet but other countries mm-hmm. are watching because japan is the first country where there is like a huge amount of old people and society is going that way because healthcare system is getting better and yeah. people live longer so i think everybody is is watching japan how they're going to handle this problem so it's a difficult place to start, but also a good place. I think for a software like ours, motivation is definitely there.
0: You, you previously worked at the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology, and you have some materials on the ResearchGate platform. Could you please tell us about the most interesting project? If you can share that.
1: Right. The, the most interesting project is, so I, I worked in to, on two big projects. One is in pinpointing biomarkers in the brain for depression. And the other one is completely different. It's both, I did both of them about two and a half years, but one of them is, the other one is in sustainable living architecture. And what I can say is that both of them were interesting in the way that it took me very close to a real real situation in the sense that they are both topics that impact the society immediately at the moment in a very very big way and whatever we do as a researcher in that field can equally impact the society immediately so that was that was my first experience in research you often you do of course something that's useful but you're not often not so close to even in applied mathematics you're not so close to something to implementation yeah right so i it, it took me very close i mean the last step was done by going to icomi <laughs> i mean still and if you're in research you can't see the last step where it gets implemented at some point mm-hmm. but you're very close so i had the possibility to work with a therapist, the therapists the psychiatrists in the dem- dementia in the depression projects and also but on and on the sustainable living side i had the the opportunity to collaborate with all the companies that install solar panels, what kind of problems are there? Yeah. Wind energy. What is the problem? What is the problem in Okinawa? Why is not everybody using a solar panel? So all these things that in your daily life you think like, oh, that's important, but why is it not working? I got the chance to actually get the answer to that by actually talking to people in on who directly work with this problem. So that, that was, I think, a big change also for me in, in the way I do research.
0: And yeah, I think that is great background to what you are doing now.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I used especially in the sustain in the sustainability project. That was the first time I, I got to manage the project myself. So that gave me the skills that I needed for iComi. And also I had this collaborations with the the companies that provide the hardware. So that was my first experience also with hardware because I'm a data scientist. I don't need to Mm. care about hardware. And I also got my first experience about software development there.
0: Cool. Yeah, we, we are coming to the end of the interview and I would like to get your opinion on the question. Like, what do you think it is important to become a good skilled engineering manager? What kind of advice you can give to people who want to switch, for example, from scientific jobs or from engineering mm-hmm. jobs to engineering managers jobs.
1: Right. So if the people want to switch, then they should try and do some management, so any kind of management, like, like organizing an event or just a leading, leading a group of kids in, in soccer, just to see what management is like and maybe talk to other managers, what that job actually concerns. And then as a manager, I would say the most important thing is to know your team. So to know what they need from you and to know what motivates them to do actually what they need to do. And if they can, if they start being able to do that, the routine themselves, then I think it's important to step back a little bit so they can have ownership and control over their own process. So I think too much management is (laughs) maybe too much. (laughs) Yeah. So this balance is, I think, very important. You have to you have to know your people. It's not just about getting the things done.
0: But if you have a lot of people, how how you can know all of them? Like what is?
1: <laughs> yeah, then okay, then you have to have maybe more managers. That's true. If you have more people, I mean, I have maybe now the maximum I can know is like seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. If, so it's we already hard. start having groups within. Yeah because we're small actually we try to figure out who is comfortable doing what or who even if they're maybe not the best in this one if they want to challenge it then i let them usually do it because that's important for their career development also and but i agree with you that once the company has like 100 200 employees everything is different of course but there's no way there's a different management style yeah um, i appreciate that advice i
0: I, am also agree on that, that there is not any like silver bullet you can you can use. You need really to know what is happening specifically with your people. There is no some kind of checklist uh, that you can follow and everything would be fine. Yeah, I'd like to end our interview and ask several personal questions, if you don't mind. There is, that is uh, just short questions and you can answer uh, whatever you come up with. So I'm wondering, have you been to the restaurant? I don't know if I pronounced this right. Sukiyabashi Zero, a chef Zero owner in Tokyo. No, <laughs> no, have you heard about that? No, Sukiyabashi. No. Yeah, it's so I saw a movie. It's called Dreams of Zero. So that is about uh, Such- there is. About yeah about the sushi chef zero owner that is the first sushi restaurant that received the michelin stars three michelin stars right um, yeah and that is quite famous and
1: fantastic okay i will check this next time
0: okay let me see yeah it's, in, it's yeah. in tokyo if a restaurant has three stars that is incentive to go to that specific country just to visit that restaurant
1: yeah <laughs> there is <laughs> you're right you should come <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah 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 I, i'd love to and could you please tell us what is the location that impressed
1: you the most in japan the location so i'm a very nature-bound person that's why i'm in okinawa but the mm-hmm. place i like the best is an island just below the main island of japan it's called yakushima it's mm-hmm. now a national heritage and it's 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 uh do you know Miyazaki Hayao? He made a Princess Mononoke movie. No. But so anyway, that that place is really really beautiful. So because when you it's it's a volcano that's not mm-hmm. active anymore, but when you start to do the crossover, the scenery changes all the time. So that that's really beautiful. Everything is moss and green, and you have the deers with the monkeys on top. So that's one scene in that movie actually of Miyazaki Hayao. There is a deer with a monkey. <laughs> and when you go there, you can actually see oh. them, see them.
0: There is a famous anime creator, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think you sh- I think you will know it. Uh, Mononoke. It's called the Princess Mononoke. I'm sure you have uh, heard that. I, somewhere. I think that I, I saw other other uh, animes of him. Mm. So the, yeah. the forest that he pictures in these movies is always based on that forest. And everybody told me it's like paradise. And I thought, ah, (laughs) what's like paradise. But, but when you go there, it's really the beauty I think is in the changing environment, the whole scenery always changes. You have up, you have rocks. And when you go to the top, you have this short bamboo grass, and then you can see over the whole sea (laughs) and when you go down, you have different more with, with water, and then you have the rivers. It, It changes all the time. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah i assume there are many beautiful
0: places in japan yeah, there.
1: True.
0: and what is the piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self
1: that's a tricky one but maybe um to be more self-confident and give things a chance i think i was not very not thinking too much by myself i was just think you know when you when you go to school you just believe what I mean, at least me, it took me a long time to get out of this. What people tell you is what's true. But I realized later that that's actually completely not true. (laughs) So what you learn is just, should just be the starter for your, for your thoughts. But I took it as just, that's my thoughts. I think if I have another chance, I would like to be more open-minded from the beginning.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I'm just curious,
0: do you think that is also a part of the culture? Because I think that the Western culture is like more individualistic. Uh,
1: Maybe, maybe. But I grew up in Europe, actually.
0: In Europe? Ah, okay. Yeah,
1: I grew up in Vienna and I went to local school. Mm -hmm. So it is, but you're right, it is also culture related. So in Japan, we mostly are educated to believe what, what what your parents tell you. So, which is which is also, okay, That should be a nice in-between. So, <laughs> yeah, but considering that I grew up in Europe, I should be more open-minded,
0: I think. Right. Okay, thank you. I think that is the perfect way to end today's interview. Thank you for your time and for you sharing should. insights, of course, about Yomi and your approach of helping people with dementia and their families, as well as how you manage the... Uh, product development having two teams in-house and outsourcing teams thank you and but before we finish what is the best way to get in touch with you so that people can write you or, oh yeah uh, LinkedIn.
1: linkedin LinkedIn, I think.
0: yeah that would be also in our resources section um, Right. thank you thank you you thank you listeners and we'll catch up in next episodes
1: yeah thanks a lot <laughs> thank you see you